Mike Rags and Todd Burlich with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Hello again, everyone. It is time for another Blue Gold Report. I am Mike Rags. Going to bring in my partner here, Todd Burlage, in a second. Want to remind you, the Blue Gold Report, as always, is brought to you by D.O. McComen Sons Funeral Homes. We do it every week and every Friday, and we're getting closer and closer to kickoff. In fact, uh, the team is back home, back practicing at Labar Practice Complex uh, by the Goog, and uh, we are ready to rock and roll with practice updates and how the running backs, the wide receivers, the quarterbacks, how everybody's doing, how the defense looks a little bit ahead of the offense right now, but that's to be expected, and we'll hear from Brian Kelly and the likes as well. Uh, so we are closer to September 1st at uh, Big Michigan Game, and let's bring him in. He is the lead writer for Notre Dame Sports for Blue Gold Illustrated. It is Todd Burlage. Todd, football is in the air. The boys are back in South Ben. Yes, indeed. Back on campus, pads on, and you can sort you can kind of sort through some things a little bit better now. Um, obviously, we'll get into it. It seems like the frontline players are very much established, other than maybe at a couple position groups. But there's a lot of competition behind those guys. Yeah, and of course, the depth of the running back and wide receivers are going to be the main storyline heading into the main to the season on offense. Uh, and uh, the defense looks real strong, especially uh, on the eleven on elevens they had just the other uh, yesterday morning. So uh, we've got lots to do. We'll even actually touch on uh, some men's basketball later on as the the boys head to the Bahamas, and we'll hear from Mike Bray. But we start every show uh, with the Blue Gold Report. Uh, and by the way, follow Todd and myself on Twitter at rags 92.3 and at Todd Burlage. Todd, you've got our blue gold reports. What do you got? I do. Here, here are your three pack of nuggets as usual. ESPN announced shortly after we did the show actually last week that, that uh, ESPN game day will be on campus here in South Bend uh, to launch the show. First show of the year will be that September 1st game against Michigan. Not a huge surprise there. So I did a little history here. Interestingly, ESPN's game day, the actual show launched in 1993 for that number one Florida State at number two Notre Dame game, a uh, game that Notre Dame won 31 to 24, beat Florida State, and therefore they leapfrogged Florida State, took the number one spot, then came back the following week and lost to Boston College. Florida State ended up being the national champion, even though Notre Dame beat them, much to the chagrin to this day of Notre Dame fans. This will be the 29th time that ESPN Notre Dame has been a part of ESPN Game Day. The Irish are only 12 and 16 in these games, so not exactly a terrific. This will be the ninth time that game day has come to South Bend. Notre Dame is four and four in the previous eight. Uh, let's see here. Brian Kelly is four and six in such games. Problem is he's lost five of his last six ESPN game days. So uh, the most recent of those being the 48-1 loss to Miami. Kind of a funny note here, I thought, a little bit interesting. Spring Pro League, it's called the Alliance of American Football Rags. We talked about it a little bit a few a couple months ago that they were going to launch this spring football league. Well, a couple of former Notre Dame players, it starts February 2019, we'll run through April. A couple of former Irish players were announced and listed among the top 100 signees for this league. Ben Turk, former punter, he was here from 2009 to 2012. And Cody Riggs, he was a he was a grad transfer. He played here, actually he's a pretty good player, played here in 2014. Those two guys are going to sign with the yet-to-be-named Orlando franchise. Uh, Turk, during his three and a half years as being the starting punter, averaged 39.1 yards per game. 
like I said, Cody Riggs was pretty good. He started all he started in eleven games in two thousand fourteen during that grad transfer year. Uh, had thirty six total tackles, one interception, three pass breakups, and one forced fumble. Actually, Riggs had a cup of coffee in the NFL in two thousand. What was it? Two thousand fifteen. He played for the Tennessee Titans. Some uh, had fourteen total tackles and two passes passes defended. Moving on to a little bit of a recruiting news, the cat is certainly out of the bag, as I read on Irish Illustrated. I thought that was fitting. Um, after his stellar performance, if you remember, last month, uh, 6'3", 195-pound, 2019 safety Kyle Hamilton is finally getting the recognition he well deserves. After he after his performance at the opening there in Dallas, Texas, he jumped from a three-star to a four-star player. He's one of the standouts at that event. Um, he jumped from a three-star to a four-star. His ranking skyrocketed. He's now been invited to the Army All-American Bowl, and this was shortly, just a few days after he was named the number one player in Georgia in the Class 4A, uh, in Class 4A. So certainly getting his recognition. It was kind of funny, Rags, and we've talked about this a little bit. I never felt like Hamilton's rankings did him justice compared to his offer sheet. Obviously, Notre Dame offered him, as did Clemson, Michigan, Ohio State, among several others. So I couldn't understand why he was just a three-star guy but getting these huge offers but certainly, like I said, the cat is out of the bag, and he's getting his well-deserved preseason recognition here. Uh, and those are your blue-gold nuggets, Rags. Well, I have a blue-gold nugget uh, bonus edition coming off of it. We record these on Friday, and the NFL preseason has gotten underway. And I thought people might want an update on how uh, some uh, graduates did in their uh, preseason time. And it looks like, well, when the Packers play, you get two Irish guys there. Uh, Todd all the time, Equinemius St. Brown, got his debut and actually did pretty well. Uh, he caught four passes for 61 yards. Uh, this was coming after the criticism. Aaron Rodgers had of the wide receiver group in practice a couple of days ago. Packers did win the game 31-17, and Deshaun Kaiser got some time, too. Went 9 of 18, 134 in the game. He ran the ball three times for for 18 yards. Now, he's battling for that backup position uh, that uh, Hundley has owned uh, last year. He owned it and got in a game, uh, got in a lot of games last year since... uh, since uh, Aaron Rodgers got hurt last year. So Brett Hundley has it now. He actually played nicely as well. So we're rooting for Kaiser. Uh, Josh Adams, he got in the game too, uh, Todd, as the Eagles played the uh, the, uh, the Steelers. Uh, six carries, 30 yards, a crowded backfield. We'll keep an eye on both Kaiser and uh, Equinemia St. Brown. A crowded uh, wide receiver core and backfield in both of those uh, places that they land. So all three not guaranteed a roster spot as uh, we've got four, uh, three more preseason games to go for each. We'll see what happens with each of them, Todd. But of course, we are rooting for... And Quentin Nelson, you know, uh, played a little bit with the Colts. We don't have to worry about that rest, roster spot. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's glad, I'm glad to see Josh Adams at least healthy enough to be getting some carries. There was some concern they wouldn't even be able to really participate much in the preseason. So that's good news there. I think St. Brown's going to play his way onto the roster. How confident are you, Rags, that Kaiser will stick? Not very confident, only because of the amount of playing time Brett Hundley got last year um, with Aaron Rodgers being down. And I guess you could keep three quarterbacks and he'd be sticking around, but I I don't know. Uh, Boy, it's too bad, too, because he had his shot last year. He was just overwhelmed on a bad team with a a questionable head coach. We'll see what happens. uh, it's you know what it is they, they, they seem there seems to be a landing spot for all these types of quarterbacks at least somewhere in the league Todd so he might be able to keep his career going 
somewhere. And then you mentioned the other leagues that are starting up too, uh, just to keep them fresh and going if it doesn't work out. But we, you know, you never know. Three three quarterbacks are, are, are not the craziest thing in the world to to be heard of in uh, NFL leagues, and we'll see what happens with them. Yeah, sometimes they sign those guys and just keep them on mothballs in case yep. something happens as well. Yep, absolutely. All right, so uh, let's talk about the main squad this year. As we're th- just about three weeks away from uh, kickoff, September 1st, and as you said, game day on campus. Uh, Culver Academies is over. They're back home. They're practicing in their own backyard, and uh, the weather's good, so not too many complaints, I'm sure, on the field right now, Todd. No, so far so good on the injury front as well. A couple little minor things. Wide receiver Michael Young, uh, he, he's been slowed with a little injury, but, but nothing to worry about long term. Uh, that's going to, we'll talk about it here in a bit, but that's going to be a situation where one man's misery is another's opportunity. Uh, no doubt about that. But uh, yeah, back from Culver after five practices there away. Brian Kelly was a little bit worried about, you know, when you make that transition from Culver back to campus, now all of a sudden you get the distractions of the kids at school, sure. you know, a lot going on, the familiarity and whatnot. So Brian Kelly is always a little bit concerned when they come back for that first practice. Uh, but he said, so far, so good. We have a short clip here of him just kind of giving an assessment upon the return of where his team is. Yeah, I think I went into the day with, with the expectation that we were going to have to lean on a couple of guys that they're – um, their focus, um, you know, needs to be on the right things. Um, they were still thinking about the uh, Call of Duty game yesterday uh, for a moment and the magician that we had here. So, yeah, I think I knew coming in that we were going to have to lean on a couple of guys that you know need to continue to work on focusing on what's important, right? And and they care, but you know you got to. You got to put that away and, and move on, and, and they're working on it. But by and large, as we got through the practice, our guys they work so hard. I mean, they there's it's a hard working group. They they come to work. We just got to continue to to focus them and refocus them. And by all accounts, from what I'm hearing, two and a half hours, very energetic practice as they're doing the eleven on eleven drills, and very competitive throughout. Todd, so these guys are juiced up and ready to go. Yeah, again, and I mentioned it at the top of the show here, it really, you go down the list of position groups and the starters, the frontline guys really seem to be settled in, uh, down to a couple position groups that are kind of interesting. I kind of want to start talking about those. Rover, the Rover position, the, the position Drew Tranquil played last year, and now he's been moved to linebacker. That seems to be the one that's most up in the air. Asmar Bilal, he's been, he's been working there as the number one and continues to but his skill set is not what freshman Shane Simons is. Now, he understands the position because he's been around here longer. He's a veteran player. But certainly, if you're just talking about raw athleticism and talent, Shane Simon has the advantage there. And that's why this is going to be one to watch to see if, indeed, Simon, 6'3", 222 pounds, can dethrone Bilal at this rover position. I personally think it's going to happen. I think Simon will end up being the starting day, opening day rover starter. Now... That said, Rover on the defense might be the most complex position, cerebral position on the field. Now, the coaches swear up and down that Simon can handle it, but it doesn't change the fact that he's still a freshman. He did play. He comes out of New Jersey, and this was the position he essentially played in high school. They ran a very similar set to what Notre Dame does defensively, so that should help him. That should flatten the learning curve a little bit there. This is going to be one to watch, and, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the redshirt freshman, so basically a sophomore scholastically, Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. He's also kind of he's auditioning for this rover spot as well and doing a nice job. So it's kind of a three-man race here 
I personally think just the raw athleticism of Shane Simon will put him over the top. And anytime Brian Kelly is asked about Shane Simon, he absolutely raves about him. And here he is talking about him just uh, just yesterday. He keeps progressing. Uh, it's it's a it's a lot going on right now for Shane, uh, but he physically can do the job. Now now we've got to just get him you know mentally understanding where to be and uh, all the nuances of the position. So it's going to take some time, but he's a really good player, and he'll end up. Uh, you know, seeing the field force this year as well. And he uh, obviously has huge shoes to fill playing yeah. that position, Todd. So uh, this is, uh, I'm glad there's lots of competition here because it's going to bring out the best in each of them. It really is. And I think a lot of, a lot of folks believe that Shane Simon was the best recruit, easily the de- best defensive recruit, but perhaps the def- the best recruit overall in this 2018 class. And when you look at this kid, he seems ready to go, ready to play, he just seems to get it. Physically, he's a presence, and that's why I think he's going to emerge as one heck of a player given time. His teammates, his veteran teammates, are raving about him as well. But you know, when you go through this defense, defensive line is set other than some competitions for the number twos and just, just to get into that rotation. Certainly when you're talking about Tavon Coney and Drew Tranquil making, um, making up two of the linebacker positions, I don't know that you're going to find a better linebacking tandem in the country than those two. So that's certainly steady. We mentioned the Rover. Uh, Troy Pride Jr. and Julian Love, two fine cornerbacks there with some with some guys working behind them to get into that rotation. Um, I suppose the the other one you kind of have to look at is the safety position. Now this is this is not a necessity. This has been this has been a pleasant surprise because yeah. keep in mind, and I've mentioned it a hundred times, uh, but last year the safeties really struggled. As a matter of fact, the defense Clark Lee and Brian Kelly are talking about how they couldn't do a lot of things defensively. They kind of had to play their cards close to the vest because they had to protect these safeties. They they had to protect these safeties uh, from giving up big plays. And that was a real deficiency, and they don't feel like this year that's going to be the case. A couple new guys, a couple new faces are certainly lining up as the number one starters now. That's Alohi Gilman. He's the Navy transfer who had to sit out last year. Uh, he looks like he's penciled in as one starter. And then the freshman, this kid's a freak athlete, Houston Griffith, also another one. But you know what? Jalen Elliott, he was a starter last year. He had a great spring, even though he struggled on the field last season. He had a great spring. And a guy that's really rising is Nick Coleman. Nick Coleman, he's a veteran, played in a lot of games here, was kind of penciled in to be the nickelback in this package. But he's pushing to be maybe even a starter and certainly get some reps. And I think Nick Coleman, to this point, has been perhaps the most pleasant surprise for Brian Kelly. And hopefully he can keep it up. Now, Brian Kelly Brian Kelly's going to talk about it here. He's seen this in the preseason before out in Nick Coleman where he's doing great, but sometimes he has he has trouble keeping up the pace. And actually, here's Brian Kelly kind of breaking that down a little bit better for you. You know, here's a guy who, you know, was fighting for reps in the spring. He's come into this camp with um, just a, a better presence in everything that he does. Um, tackling, awareness, uh, playing the ball in the air. It is a guy with a lot of snaps, so um, really, really, I don't want to say he's been a surprise, but um, we're really pleased with, with what he's been able to do in his his last camp. A lot of it wasn't necessarily what we were going to coach him, is, is how he was going to react to the number of experiential snaps that he had. Now, is he is he going to, you know, cut that route? Is he going to be able to fit that play correctly? And his off-season workouts, he, he was... You know, if Coach Bayless was in front of me, he said he'd be one of the best guys in the weight room. 
but you still got to translate that because he was last year too. And it seems as though that is coming easier to him and he's been able to translate it. He brings up last year, he played in 12 of the 13 games, made 44 tackles, and right. he looks like he's really fighting for a way to just be on the field, Todd, because what I read, uh, he won a, a couple of awards this past week, special teams player of the day and defensive player of the day, so this guy is definitely turning some heads out there in a position that they didn't think they had this much depth, or, or at least veteran depth, and now they do. Yeah, exactly, and, and the veteran is the key word here. He's played in 37 career games through three seasons. And made 14 starts, so certainly you have a lot of experience there. Well, 66 total tackles for his career, so certainly a guy that knows his way around the position. Also, Todd, very important, because they have seven freshmen at four different defensive back positions they brought in this offseason. That's a lot of youth. It'd be nice to have some people that at least have had some real-time experience on the field. Yeah, and I think you're going to get that with Elliott and Coleman. Yeah, and again, Alohi Gilman, while he was a great player for Navy as a freshman, he's now been out two years. It's a new system. It's a new this. It's a new that. Everybody's raving about him. I think he's going to be a fine player. Uh, but you're right. And But these safeties that have come in as freshmen, I mentioned Houston Griffith right off the top, they're talented players. They're going to push as well. So um, it, it's just interesting because it's night and day. If, if you ask Brian Kelly about, as a matter of fact, it was sort of funny because when Brian Kelly started raving about Nick Coleman and his safety positions, he was actually asked about his cornerbacks. So that goes to show you how thrilled he is <laughs> about how the safety position is playing out. When you're asked about the cornerbacks and all of a sudden you go on a, a, a nice rant about the safety position, you know it's getting his attention. Well, he also put Coleman in there in a nickel package a lot this spring, too, so just to sure. get a different look of what he can do. All right, Todd, but the position that I have my eyes on the most, and we'll talk about the wide receivers here in a bit, let's turn to offense. It's all about the running back and what's going on on the field, and, and you've got a little info on Jafar Armstrong. Yeah, Brian Kelly talked about him quite a bit. He is a redshirt freshman. He was actually a wide receiver last year in 2017, um, they need. They brought him over to cross train to work at running back, really out of necessity. You know, we talked about the attrition at length here. What happened with Adams leaving early, uh, Holmes and McIntosh getting kicked off the team. So, so really, they need bodies at this position. And most people now are just reporting that Dexter Williams will miss the first four <laughs> games of the season. Uh, Brian Kelly has not confirmed that. He will not confirm that. But uh, certainly, uh, enough people in the know are saying that's going to happen. So. I think the guesswork is done on that. So when you add that dynamic to what's going on in this rotation, you really need guys to step up. And so far, Jafar Armstrong, again, a redshirt uh, uh, freshman, he's he's really doing the job. He's not a great big kid, six foot two thirteen, but he kind of does a little bit of everything well. He had a really good spring, and it looks like at least for the first four games of this season, he's going to become the number two running back, and and, and that's good news. What you really need to protect against is Tony Jones Jr., who's obviously going to be the starter. As we talk about the front-line guys, all kind of are already penciled in pretty much. But Tony Jones Jr. has been oft injured during his career here, especially last season. So can he stay healthy for those first four games? Here's a guy, Jones Jr., that has never had more than nine carries in one particular game. I don't ever think he's gotten to 40 carries in, in a season. Um, so... When you look at that, certainly you're going to need somebody to step up, and Jafar Armstrong seems to be the guy to this point. Now they threw Avery Davis in there, obviously the quarterback, wide receiver, running back. He's going to get some carries, but Brian Kelly was asked, okay, how many carries do you want? If Armstrong continues to progress, is six carries? Is that going to be the max? Is it going to be Tony Jones Jr.'s team? Is Are you looking for six carries? What are you looking for out of Jafar Armstrong? And here's what Brian had to say. He can go all day. That kid is incredible. I mean, physically, 
I mean, there's no there's no drop off. I mean, his GPS numbers are in, we've never had them as high as his, and he bounces back the next day. Um, he's he's an incredibly um, uh, conditioned football player. Um, so we think that this is just a matter of, hey, we're in practice six, we've got plenty of time here. I think we're going to get that package to the point where it can be more significant than maybe a half dozen plays. And he and Avery Davis walked, worked out a lot, uh, cross-trained in the offseason together. And, and so let's just talk about Dexter Williams again real quick. He is out there practice. He's very limited, right, Todd? He's not doing much, but he is part of the team, right? Oh, he's absolutely part of the team. As a matter of fact, Brian Kelly has raved about how this has been his best offseason yet. So, Figures. <laughs> yeah, doesn't exactly, exactly, my friend. And so, yeah, Brian Kelly says, boy, he's, he's had his best spring. He's ready to go. But uh, unfortunately, I don't think he's going to be ready to go till sometime in October or whenever that last, whenever that game five is. Again, hopefully they can hold it together through that first those first four games and get some contributions from some new faces. They're going to need him. But it sounds like Jafar Armstrong is going to get his chance at this point, at this point, to be probably the number two back. That is indeed if Dexter Williams does have to sit out. Um, so there's a lot of separation when it comes to experience between Tony Jones Jr. and the rest of the guys uh, that apparently are going to be active. But they're all talented players. We'll just have to see. you know. But when you have a wide receiver coming in as a freshman and then you change him to running back and now you're talking about him perhaps being the backup running back, that's, that's a lot to learn in a big hurry. Of course, a guy by the name of C.J. Procise figured it out pretty well. He sure did, and some people are comparing him to maybe the next C.J. Procise as far as coming out of nowhere and doing such things. Now, you look at the other skill spot we were going to talk about here is wide receivers. Let's just bring up you know, Wimbush getting most of the reps. He actually looked a little shaky, but he did almost kind of under pressure connect with Miles Boykin for a 40-yard pass in practice yesterday. However... Uh, Boykin had rocks in his hands and he dropped the ball, but <laughs> from what we understand, he has been turning some heads and there has been some f- pleasant surprises, Boykin being one of them at the wide receiver. Yeah, and I do have a clip here on just how Claypool and Boykin certainly are the alpha males of this group. Um, I want to start first, though. I mentioned the Michael Young injury. What's that, what that has done is it allowed some of these younger players, especially the freshmen, to step in and really make a mark. A couple of them have caught the coaches, coaching staff's attention like big time. Now, Similar to how we often read too much into a spring game, into a blue-gold game, and we sort of try to then put that forward into what's going to happen in the season. you got to be careful here, especially early in camp. You see these freshmen doing a few things. Brian Kelly will rave about them, and then you never see him on the field again for the entire season. But for the time being, at least, because these guys are working with the number twos, Ian Book's throwing to him. Joe Wilkins Jr., um, he came into camp. He's a true freshman. He's, he's actually listed on the roster as both a wide receiver and a defensive back. But with the job he has done at wideout, Brian Kelly said he's, his days as a defensive back are done. He is a wide receiver, and again, he's 6'2", 185, so another pretty good-sized target there. He's done a nice job. And Lawrence Keyes, he's another true freshman. He's a little bit smaller, 5'10", 170, a little shiftier type of receiver. But he's caught a lot of passes. He's getting a lot of looks and, and making good on it. And again, a lot of this is because Michael Young is out injured for the time being. Those guys are working with the number two. And it's kind of interesting because I actually wrote a couple stories, and this shows you how much I know. I honestly thought that two other freshman wide receivers would have a chance to make an immediate impact in Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsey. Um, they're not doing a bad job, but certainly when you're talking about top freshman wideouts at this point, it goes to Wilkins and Keys. Now, Austin and, and Lindsey, I believe, are both kind of trying out. They're still kind of put, trying to put together their punt returns and their kick returns. 
and those guys are involved in sort of that uh, those auditions. But when you're talking about wide receivers, we can talk about freshmen, we can talk about this and that. But when we're talking about wide receivers, you just have to go to Boykin and Claypool. I can't imagine. I just I, maybe it's out there. I know there are a lot of big tandems as far as wide receivers go, and it get, it's, it's more prevalent with each passing season. But Boykin six four on one side, Claypool six five on the other side. It really gives be it Wimbush, be it Book, be it Jerkovic, whoever the quarterback is, a couple really nice targets. Brian Kelly talked about that dynamic, and then he kind of went into when somebody asked him, do you recruit to that? Are you recruiting big guys for that reason? Was was that by design? And here's how Brian Kelly breaks down his two alpha males at the receiving core. You know, Miles obviously is, is what we had hoped he would become, and that is um, a big play uh, receiver, a guy that uh, has got great radius, um, is, is physical, uh, and uh, a guy that we can count on, you know, so there's got to be trust in that. Um, I, think, I think Chase's situation has been much more of about can we get emotional stability from him uh, on a day-to-day basis, which we have, um, and consistency again in, in his performance. You know, he got a little tired today and maybe a little bit of fatigue, but, you know, he was, he was fighting through it. He's in a good place, you know, he's, he's doing the things that we want him to do. So um, I think one big play ability, not that Chase doesn't, uh, with Miles. And then, uh, man, he's a big physical kid on the perimeter. If we throw spots out there, um, he's going to block for us. And obviously he's a, a kid that can make things happen down the field as well. What, what we did in the recruiting process is not know if Chase was a W or somebody that could play somewhere else. So I don't know that it was specific that we wanted to be 6-5 on both sides of the ball, but we have a kid now that has really developed in Chase Claypool that can give us you know, great balance with size uh, on either side. In other words, if the ball goes out on the perimeter, he's a mismatch for corners. I mean, he's going to block them. He's going to block a spin safety. And so, you know, within our offense, we're spot throwing the ball out on the perimeter if we don't have fair numbers in the run game. That guy now, if he's that big, um, he gives you a decided advantage, as well as the other things that he's been able to do, and that is win one-on-one matchups. So I wouldn't say that it was a planned attack, per se, as much as that we recruited him as a W uh, because we want size into the boundary, and he showed that he's got the ability to play in space as well, which is quite, quite unique. Now, Todd, to me, looking at the two, the bigger upside is Chase Claypool, for just looking at size and strength and, and the fact that the one game I went to last year was the Wake Forest game, and he sure. seemed to break out a little bit there uh, w- on, with some big playability. Uh, so that I lean towards that, but again, you're worried about his health. He didn't play in the Citrus Bowl. He didn't his shoulder. He's got he to gotta stay on the field first. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and I don't disagree with you. It seems like Claypool is just more a more well-rounded receiver, maybe something that can come inside a little bit more, where Boykin is just seems just kind of like that perimeter big play threat maybe i'm underselling boykin maybe because certainly maybe because he's drawn a high praise in improving his all-around game we'll have to wait and see at this point but either way boy you can't go wrong those are going to be tough cover guys that's for sure and as far as the progression of the quarterback, uh, Kelly did say he wanted to ramp up the pressure early on with these uh, with the defense. So if, if you're reading reports that uh, Wimbush and the likes are struggling, that's probably the reason. Yeah, that's going to be part of it. Obviously, there's not going to be any contact for these guys, so it's hard to replicate all that. But uh, certainly getting pressure on these guys. When, when you look at Michigan, this very well could be the toughest defensive line they face the entire season right out of the gate here. 
a lot of pressure up front. I believe they were number six or number four. I can't remember which it was, but certainly top ten in pass defense last year. So it's going to be a formidable defensive opponent right out of the gate. All right. Each uh, week, Todd has been, uh, as we head to September 1st, Todd has been ranking worst opponent to best opponent. And uh, you, you saw a dramatic change in opponents last week as they start getting better and better. And uh, the one coming up next on his countdown is uh, a, a traditional uh, powerhouse against the Notre Dame and always seem uh, to put up a, a good game, mainly because they have one of the best coaches in all of college football, Todd. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Been a real thorn here. Um, let me count them down first. We, we rated Ball State as the easiest opponent, the 12th, number 12 opponent. Vanderbilt, number 11. Syracuse, number 10. Pittsburgh, number 9. Navy, number 8. Uh, where were we? Then we went to Wake Forest, number 7. Northwestern, number 6. I believe Stanford. And this boy, you throw you can throw a blanket over these last of these remaining five teams. That's for sure. I saw somebody else doing the same thing, and they actually had Stanford as the third toughest opponent on the schedule. I'm putting the Cardinal at number five. Um, as far as the series goes, Notre Dame leads at 19-13, to 13, but Stanford has owned it, uh, winning seven of the last nine if you go back to 2009. Brian Kelly, of all the teams on his schedule, especially the, the rivals, the traditional teams, this has been the one that has given him the most fits. He's only two and six against Stanford at this point. If you remember last year, Notre Dame was ranked number eight, standing at nine and two, went out to Stanford with a chance to earn another a, a bid to one of those big six bowl games. Um, and they actually led in the they led in the fourth quarter, Notre Dame twenty to seventeen, uh, but they gave up three touchdowns in the span of three minutes and thirty six seconds. I don't know if you remember that implosion or not. In a game they led in the fourth quarter, they ended up getting blown out thirty eight to twenty. Um, so Notre Dame actually outgained Stanford in this that game pretty significantly. As a matter of fact, 415 to 328 yards, but the 3 nothing turnover advantage was the difference for Stanford for sure. When you look at recruiting class rankings, these are a little bit closer than what we've been talking about with the other opponents. Typically, Stanford floats in between that 15 and 20 mark. That's pretty typical right there, while Notre Dame is right around that 10 to 15 mark. So perhaps a slight advantage when it comes to talent, but you're right, David Shaw. I would totally agree. I would. I would. He's easily one of the top five coaches in all of college football, and I think you could make a case he may be. Now that said, Stanford struggled a little bit. They only finished nine and five. They were ranked number fourteen in the preseason poll. They only finished a number twenty. Uh, it was their first five loss campaign since going all the way back to two thousand nine. So you had to go. Uh, what would that be? Eight years since they had lost five games. Um, they started out slowly with losses to USC and San Diego State. They were one and two. They did upset number nine, and so the, because of that, they ended up actually winning the North Division of the Pac-12. So that was sort of interesting right there. Um, but again, they they lost that game, and then they lost to TCU in what bowl was it? That was the Alamo Bowl. They lost thirty-nine thirty-seven to TCU. Um, it was only the second time in David Shaw's seven seasons. That only the second time in David Shaw's seven seasons that Stanford did not reach ten victories. So uh, this program is certainly humming on all cylinders. The defense was the problem last year. They gave up almost six yards per play, and that was the most that this program has given up in ten years. It's usually a very stingy defense, especially against the run. That was not the case last year. Ranked number sixty-eight in stopping the run, giving up one hundred and seventy yards per game, and that's where you have to. That's where they're going to have to fill the needs here, fill the voids and do a better job. Uh, they lost a few players, a couple standout players, uh, but certainly they have a lot returning. Now, the offense should be in really good hands 
um, with a new coordinator. I'm sorry, uh, the, the, the coordinator, yeah, they have a new offensive coordinator, uh, Tavita Pritchard. I don't know a lot about him. He was the quarterback coach earlier for Stanford, um, and he's been on the staff since 2010, but I still don't know a lot about him. Bryce Love, he was the Heisman Trophy runner-up last year, gained 2,118 rushing yards. He'll be back 8.1 yards per carry, so obviously that's going to be that's going to be a key for them. He did sit out the spring because of an ankle injury, um, but certainly he should be fine. And starting quarterback KG Costello, um, he actually threw for 176 yards and four TDs in that win against Notre Dame last November. He'll be back as well. So you have a lot of experience at the two most important positions uh, right there in Bryce Love and Costello. So that's going to be that's where they'll hang their hat on is offensive, and that's where Notre Dame's going to have to step it up, and we'll see how this goes. What is the date on this game? This game is going to be played on September 29th, which will make it what? Uh, one, two, three. That's the fourth, fifth game of the season. Fifth game of the season. So hopefully Dexter Williams will be back for that one. Uh, certainly Notre Dame should be favored since it is a home game. We'll have to wait and see. Um, the, the graduating class, the graduating senior class has 0-4 against Stanford uh, if, if they would lose this game. So certainly a little bit of extra motivation for the, the seniors-to-be. And we'll have to wait and see. It's going to be a heck of another fo- great football game. They always are. Um, I think Notre Dame should be able to handle Stanford at home. But again, these get sticky from this point, Rags. Yeah, in fact, Notre Dame leads the series 19-13, to 13, but uh, right. Stanford has won seven of the last nine times, including, you know, uh, beginning with uh, the Charlie Weiss getting fired right after uh, they, they lost 45-38 back in 09, and most of the David Shaw era, uh, he's owned this team, Todd, and that's, that's just a testament to how good a coach he is. Yeah, absolutely. Brian Kelly's beaten him twice. Twice, that's it, if I'm yep. Not, yep, that's I think it, he's so. six and two against uh, yep. against uh, yep. Brian Kelly. So uh, indeed, he is. Uh, should be interesting and very worthy of your ranking for sure. As we get closer and closer to it. All right, we're going to change the pace a little bit here and head to the Bahamas because it's warmer down there, although it's not much warmer than it is right now here. So uh, the men's basketball team, as they uh, prep for their season, Todd, heading down to the uh, the islands, per se. A lot of new faces on this team. When you really look at the lineup, really you only have Rex Fluger and TJ Gibbs as the guys with that, that really have a meat of playing time. Um, you, you know, you have your Nick Jogo and, and Mooney and some of the guys that, that had to fill in because of injury last year. But man, a lot of new faces on this team, and that's what kind of all eyes are on. Brian, uh, they're still trying to find an identity. I know you hear that word a lot. Um, still some injuries going on. Prentice Hub, the incoming freshman point guard, he won't. He will not be able to participate in the Bahamas. He's still on the shelf as he's recovering um, from ACL surgery. Mike Bray said he should be ready to go September 1st. More importantly, DJ Harvey, who actually was having a pretty solid freshman year last season until he had that knee injury. That was a strange injury, and it still kind of haunts him a little bit. Uh, He's still recovering from that. That's been a slow process. Bray suggested that maybe October 1st uh, for Harvey to get going again. It's not out of the question that Harvey may end up redshirting. It's not out of the question. They're trying to avoid it, uh, but something to keep an eye on. If If that doesn't heal... That might be the best course of action, but that would be a tough hit for Notre Dame. They really need him on the floor with so many young guys. Um, Juwan Durham, he's the 6'11", 225-pounder. Dane Goodman, Goodwin, I'm sorry, 6'4", 187 shooting guard. Another shooting guard, a fine one. Robbie Carmody, 6'4", 185. And Nate Lewiski, 6'4", 
610, 200, power forward. Those are the four new faces that are trying to find themselves in the rotation. We talked about it last week. Chris Doherty, the other power forward in this class, this class of 2018, he's taken a hiatus from the team. He went back home, uh, dropped out of summer school, but Mike Bray indicated this week that indeed he expects to have him back for the fall semester and to be for, for, completely back with the team. Now, Notre Dame's in the Bahamas. They're going to play three games down there. As this is being recorded, they've already played two, and I'll give you the rundown on those. It doesn't sound like the competition is all that heavy, actually. Game one was a 119-61 to win. These are against basically exhibition teams uh, from the Bahamas area. So, uh, again, not a whole lot of uh, uh, competition here. What do you see the score of the second game? But in that 119-61 win in game one, uh, Fluger had 20 points on 9 of 12 shooting. T.J. Gibbs, 17 points, 6 assists. Notre Dame used a 43-19 run to close the first half to really pull away in this thing. Talked about the new guys, Juwan Durham. He had 16 points, 9 rebounds, narrowly missing a double-double there. Uh, Robbie Carmody, a solid stat line here. 16 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists. And Lazuski, 17 points, 7 rebounds. So he gets he had some good work um, from those young guys, and that's going to be important. I think it's nice to do these blowouts to kind of build the confidence. Here's your game two score, Rags. 111-34 to 34 against a team by the name of MPBA All-Stars. Uh, so how about that? They finished the game. Notre Dame finished the game on a 59-9 to run. <laughs> so if you had that so, team in 82 points, you would have lost the bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, 111-34. to How about that? Uh, John Mooney had a nice uh, game here with a double-double. 26 points, 10 rebounds. Carmody, another nice game. So he was steady in both those games. 20 points, 8 rebounds. Nick Jogo had a nice showing here, 16 points and 8 rebounds. So those are two that they play one more game Saturday night down there. Um, Friday today, they are going to, uh, they're, they're, they're doing something called the Dolphin K Tour. So it sounds like kind of a fun team event for them. These guys are staying at the Atlantis and Nassau Island. So that's, that's, that's no red roof in there, Rags. That's for sure. No. Uh, they're having a good time. They'll play that game Saturday, and then they get Sunday off to go do whatever they want, and they'll come back on Monday. So they basically get an entire full week down here. Caught up with Mike Bray before the team left in the Bahamas and just got a kind of a state of the union, what he what he's seeing, what he wants to see, what he needs to see. This was, again, before the trip to the Bahamas. Let's pop him in. It's a little bit of a longer clip because he touches on a lot of issues. Isn't that great? Out of all the foreign tours had, how important yeah. To just just to kind of get an identity. Yeah, yeah, it's very important. Obviously, with the, the three young guys that'll be healthy, that are eligible, you know, a, a, available to us. And then you know, who's a Mooney? Who's a Burns? Who's a Durham? I think we know who a Fluger and a Gibbs are. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we're searching a little bit. Um, but that's kind of been exciting to watch all of them kind of this summer interact, and especially since Wednesday. But, you know, the great thing about down there, you sit on the same bench and you substitute and you come back and you have a better field. Given the way you're able to, to put shooters on different spots on the floor, what does that do offensively? The way you can drive and kick and someone can make a shot? Well, that's kind of how we played here. But last year, offense was really hard for us. You know, it was just hard for us to score at times, which hasn't been the issue. But I think watching us this summer, and you watched it today, we have some more weapons where now we can stretch that floor and get into driving and kicking and passing. We still pass it well together. I mean, that's part of the culture. And, uh, and our young guys, I've been very proud of our three, the three young guys, Lashevsky, Goodwin, Carmody, because they do have a very good feel. They had a good initial feel for the game, and they have fit in really well. And, you know, our old guys have done a good job 
teaching them when I'm not around on how we play here. Does Carmody have, for lack of a better term, the most court sense at, at, at this point? Uh, I, 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 I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say. I, I think Goodwin has a great feel for it, too. Um, you know, Hub always has. You haven't seen Hub since. But, but uh, Carmody and Goodwin are very similar. They have a great feel for the game. They can put it on the floor a little bit. They can make shots. Um, you know, they're a little more physical than maybe you think. And they've gotten stronger with Tony this summer. And Leshevsky gives us that stretch four guy who has been good for us, you know. So uh, all three of them, I thought, were just attacking today and comfortable in playing. Leshevsky, you know, spend a little time in that corner. That yeah, corner he jumper. can he can he can go to that corner, but you gotta guard him. You know, you gotta get out. You can't play off him. And you know, our spacing's good. Because you know this summer our spacing's been good because we have threats out there. So you got to get out to them, and then it opens up TJ on a drive or Rex on a drive. Or I, I thought Elijah's been—he's just been really solid. He knows who he is. Screens for people, rebounds, and talks. You know he's had a great summer, and he doesn't show up maybe crazy in the stat sheet scoring wise, but he just he helps us score. What have you seen from Durham at this point? Yeah, yeah. He had a tough night around the bucket today, but there's length. He changes shots, he blocks some shots. Um, still getting comfortable, but he's stronger. Um, I think I just gotta give him confidence. You think about Durham the last three years, injured as a senior, doesn't play much at UConn, doesn't play at all last he hadn't played in a while. So we just gotta get him more confident, but I think he's also been very good this summer at feeling how we play and um, but you know I got those four big guys. We're just gonna sub them two at a time down there in the Bahamas, and that's probably what we'll do during the season too. Based on that clip alone, their dribbling mm-hmm. skills are going to be better than anybody else's. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd like that. I thought you'd like that. You know, I, I, I'm I'm really curious about this Durham kid. He was the Connecticut transfer. He's six eleven. He's up to two hundred twenty two pounds now. He came in here. He was a beanpole. He was only about two hundred eight pounds, if I'm not mistaken. So he's put on a lot of good weight in the room. Not perhaps the most gifted offensive player yet, but I think once Mike Bray gets his hands on him, he will turn him into one. Right now, he's a defender, a great rebounder, can change a lot of shots. Notre Dame hasn't had that. They really haven't had that to this extent since Ryan Humphrey, a guy that can patrol that middle, change a lot of shots, play above the rim, and that's been something that's really been missing under Mike Bray altogether. I want to talk a little bit about Robbie Carmody, too, because all the comparisons that he's getting and he's even acknowledged are to Pat Connaughton. And they built the same, but I hear that Carmody is a little bit of a better shooter than Connaughton, so that's something to keep an eye on as well. They're built the same. They both have incredible hops. They can take it to the hole. They're surprisingly athletic, and I think this Carmody is going to be a fine player. I think he's going to find his way to the court quite a bit this season. So while you don't really know what you have, I think there's a lot to be excited about. I do believe this team will be a year away. I think this is going to be a learning period for this group. Hopefully I'm proven wrong. Uh, typically when expectations are low for a Mike Bray team is when they do their best, and I think that fits the mold this season. But that said, I think this team is going to have to learn what playing in the ACC is all about. Given time, keep in mind this is a top-10 recruiting class, I think this is going to be one of the best teams Mike Bray has put together. Just not convinced it's going to happen this year. All right, covered a lot of ground there. That is your Blue Gold Report podcast brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. Remember to rate us and and, uh, review us wherever you download podcasts. Todd, we'll do it again next week, my friend. All right, we're closing in on it, Rags. Thanks. This has been a presentation of Opt-In Productions.
podcast by Federated Media. Podcast by Federated Media.